Now, it seems fitting that as we dive into a sermon series focused on the Old Testament law, the fourth commandment of observing the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, that we should turn to Christ to hear his words on this specific law. You see, when Christ was walking the earth and in the midst of his ministry, he was in a religious context in which law and order was of the utmost importance. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were primarily concerned with crossing the T's and dotting the I's, making sure that everyone followed every single rule in Scripture. And the law in the Old Testament is rather expansive. As we look beyond the Ten Commandments, we see the entire book of Leviticus that outlines very specific laws that help the Hebrew people cater their life in a countercultural way in the midst of a world that did not adhere to the same morals and beliefs that they did. But we hear over and over in Jesus' ministry that he has come not to enforce the law, but rather to fulfill it and to free us from our bondage of sin. We hear the Apostle Paul talk to us about being slaves to the consequence of that sin, and we know that Christ on the cross has eradicated the consequences of the brokenness that comes from sin. And so as you can imagine, the religious leaders that are primarily focused on these laws, on this order, are a bit concerned They turn to Jesus, and they want him to explain more fully. And so as we open up into Scripture, we look at Matthew 22, 36 through 39. And as I begin to read it, it will become rather familiar to you. One of these Pharisees, a teacher of the law, comes to Jesus, and he asks him, Jesus, I understand all the commandments. I've studied them my entire life. But what is it that is most important? If you have come to fulfill the law, what is it specifically that you have come to teach us? And Jesus replies in a way that at first seems fairly straightforward, but as we look a little bit deeper, is actually quite nuanced. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, Jesus is effectively distilling the entire Mosaic law into two commandments. He is not creating, which at its face might appear, a new commandment or new commandments for the people. Instead, he is taking everything that the Old Testament has called us to, and he's distilling it down into two kind of umbrella laws, two laws that that overarch everything else. Because as we look at the Old Testament, we recognize that loving God is simply a summation of the first three, uh, first three commandments that were written on the, the stone tablets that Moses brought down from the Mount Sinai. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below. The third is that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You see, what Jesus is saying is not that the law in and of itself is faulty, but instead we are just making it far too complicated. 
And Jesus is telling this Pharisee, if you just loved God fully, you likely would not have to be concerned with the nitty-gritty of honoring me. If the Lord your God was truly your heart's desire, then you would likely not have any other gods that you put before me. You would not idolize things in your life as more important than I, and you would not use my name out of context and in vain. And so, very simply put, the first three commandments can be said as, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and in other passages, strength. Well, and then we look at uh, the commandments 5 through 10. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you shall not covet your neighbor. And again, Jesus is saying that it is not that these laws have been abolished, but instead it is just far too complicated because if you loved your neighbor as you would like to be loved, then you would not murder them. You would not steal from them. You would not commit adultery. You would not dishonor them. You would not covet them. You would not speak falsely against them. You see, what Jesus is doing is simplifying the commandments and calling us to a new way of living that is not fixated on particular rules and regulations, but instead the spirit by which those rules and regulations came about. But there is one commandment that is missing, one that is of significant interest to us as we are embarking on a series called The Fourth Commandment, and that is just it, the Sabbath. You see, the first three commandments focus on loving God, and the last six commandments focus on loving others, but this fourth one, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You see, the Sabbath is unique to the Ten Commandments because at first glance it is not explicitly focused on our love and respect for God. And it seemingly has nothing to do with the way that we love our neighbor. No, instead the focal point appears to be us. It appears to be revolving around our rhythms and our abilities. It appears to be a law that has been put in place to protect ourselves. And so as we read it in a 21st century mindset, we assume that this means it is optional. That if I do not need rest, then I don't need to follow this commandment because after all, in doing so, I am not disrespecting God and I am not uh, disrespecting others. Instead, I am just trusting in my own bandwidth. You see, God must have been talking in kind of a blanket statement here that most of you need rest every seventh day, but I am a little bit more high capacity than that. I can go 10, 12 14 days without needing a rest. Or, or perhaps I don't actually need a full day of rest. I just need a few hours each week that help me refocus and recenter. But you see, when we see the Sabbath as optional, we fall into the trap of practicing 
false rhythms of rest. We all live in a society and a culture that values a high pace of life. And and I don't know all of you, but I feel safe in assuming that each of us would admit to living a life that is perhaps a little too busy. How many can resonate with that sentiment here? Yes, most of us. Our lives are frantic, chaotic, frenzied, and overscheduled. And so at some level, we do resonate with this concept of rest, but we rest on our own terms. If I were to show you my laptop today, it would probably cause many of your hearts to palpitate. At any given time, I have 20 applications running. I have dozens of emails and text messages pinging notifications across my desktop. I have three separate internet browsers open, each with seven tabs, as if they're my own digital organizer of my thoughts and projects. I have literally hundreds of documents, Excel spreadsheets, and PowerPoints minimized in the corner of my screen to be opened at a moment's notice. And occasionally, I use my computer to stream digital media online. I like watching shows on Netflix or Hulu, Amazon Prime, perhaps even ESPN. But I find myself frustrated more often than not, because as I am watching a show, I am often greeted by a forced pause. The program stops, it pauses, and I get this little circle that's spinning, telling me that it is buffering. And so I wait anxiously for that little bar to Uh, progress just far enough for me to play again and watch another minute and a half of the program. But then, of course, it freezes again. And I do this over and over again. And each time I pause it, I find that the space in between is shorter and shorter and shorter, and I become more frustrated and fed up with watching the show until I finally just slam the computer shut. I shake my fist at it, saying, "Uh, my computer is too old. The internet speeds that I have are just too slow, or perhaps even the server at Netflix is faulty. You see, the reality is, is I am blaming everyone else, and I'm not actually addressing the true problem. The only way to actually allow those shows to stream in their entirety is to reset my computer, to close all of those different tabs, to exit out of the notifications, to get rid of the applications, and to reset the computer. Because when a computer is reset, it does an interesting thing. It recalibrates itself, and as it turns on, it reprioritizes its RAM, or energy, to those things that happen to be priorities. You see, when I am just simply pausing and waiting for the video to buffer, the computer is still attempting to run every other thing in the background, and it does not fully know which is of the most importance to me. And so it's actually not working on fixing the problem, but instead delaying the consequences just long enough for me to catch a little bit more of my video. Well, I think... Our lives are very similar. 
is that too many of us have grown satisfied with a rhythm of forced pause that allows our lives to buffer for just a moment so that we can take on our next day. The reality is, is while we may find pockets of space in our day or our week, we never enter into a Sabbath that closes the applications of our life, that ignores the constant notifications. And so we are truly just delaying the consequences of our busyness rather than engaging in life transformational Sabbath. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul has something to be said about this. And let's look closely at this passage because it's easy to read it and assume that it's about something else entirely. He says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Essentially, be careful to live in this world as as people that are set apart for God, not people of this world. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The mission of God is just too important not to seize the day because your days are limited. They are numbered. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let us be sure to prioritize our lives in a way that God is first, not becoming foolish and focused on other things. And do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You see, the Apostle Paul is warning the early church about the rhythms of their life. He recognizes that their mission is critical and that the kingdom of God is dependent on their ability to prioritize their time and stay focused on the will of the Lord. It seems pretty straightforward, but then there's kind of this strange verse, a warning not to be drunk on wine for it is debauchery. And and at first glance, it appears that Paul just has some vendetta against alcohol. But the truth of the matter is, as we look at his other writings, Paul is not very concerned with alcohol as a substance. Instead, he is concerned about drunkenness as an escape from reality. And so as we understand drunkenness as an escape from reality, we recognize that Paul is cautioning us not against drinking, but instead against finding false rhythms of rest. This past week, my wife and I went to a play at the Drury Lanes, a cat on a hot tin roof. And the main character of this play was a gentleman named Brick. He was young, he was charming, he was well-liked. He was a former professional football player from a well-to-do Southern family. But his career had ended, and to cope with the stress of his life, he had begun to drink. And I was a bit confused in the beginning of the play, or if I'm totally honest, almost through the entire play, because every time Brick would take a drink, he would reminisce about taking a trip to his beloved vacation spot, Echo Springs. Now, we had no context for what Echo Springs was. We had no idea why he was talking about this vacation place, and we assumed that at some point it would tie in. 
But then suddenly I realized that Echo Springs was not a physical vacation, but instead it was the place where Brick went when he was drunk. It was his escape from reality to a place where he was at peace. In fact, there's a particularly powerful quote. Brick's wife is talking to him, and she asks him, when are you going to stop drinking? And she's not saying, when are you going to stop drinking in general? She's saying, specifically tonight, when is going to be your last drink? Right? She doesn't have a grand vision of him kicking this habit. She's just trying to figure out when enough is enough. And Brick says, it just hasn't happened yet, Maggie. And she asks, what? And Brick responds, the click I get in my head when I've had enough of this stuff to make me peaceful. You see, false Sabbaths are escapes from reality. They are brief pauses that allow us to forget about the chaos of our life. They remove us from all things, both good and bad, and instead place us in this strange period of comatose. See, Scripture calls us to Sabbath that does not remove us from reality, but instead allows us to dive more deeply into the reality of Christ and his kingdom. And so when Paul juxtaposes drunkenness with time management, he is clearly telling these people not to find rhythms of rest that the world promotes, but instead to find healthier Sabbath. Alcohol is not our only means of drunkenness. It is not the only method to seek escape. And so I think it would be helpful for us to begin exploring other unhealthy places that we turn to to find these false rhythms. For me, when I have had a long day at work, when I've had challenging conversations with colleagues, when I've felt misunderstood, when I have had a difficult conversation with a family or a child, I come home and I just want to escape. Even as a pastor, I, I don't turn to Scripture and prayer. It's rare that I fully digest it in conversation with my wife. Instead, I typically say, my day was fine. And I go to the couch, and I turn the TV on, and I just watch. It doesn't really matter what it is. It could be a movie, a Netflix marathon, a game. All I'm trying to do is to forget about the heaviness of my day so that I can get to the point where I can rest my head on my pillow and go to bed and face tomorrow as a new day. You see, we become drunk on our binging of television. Many of us use social media or our phones as an escape from our reality. With our students here at Christchurch, we tell them that they cannot bring cell phones on many of our lengthy trips to Arkansas or West Virginia. They can't even bring them on the ride with them because we have come to the realization 
that when students and adults, for that matter, are placed in situations of high social anxiety, they are more prone to turn to an escape than they are to address the problem and work through it. And so as you step onto a bus with 54 total strangers and you feel the panic of all of these different people looking at you, it is far easier to simply sit on your phone for nine hours than to make a new friend. When was the last time that we were sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office? What did you do? Did you talk to somebody next to you? Did you engage with the community that surrounded you? If you did, you're a saint, because I was just on my phone. When was the last time we were waiting for somebody for dinner or coffee? Our immediate response is, is to look at our phones, to look away from the world around us, to escape it until the person that we're waiting for shows up. We use social media to escape reality, and it becomes a false rest that allows us to buffer just for a moment to enter into that next portion of our day. We use shopping this way. I find it interesting that the times that I'm most financially burdened, the time that I'm most exhausted by uh, my bills and, and, and mortgage, are the times that I'm also most likely to make an impulse buy. Right? Because by purchasing that thing, just for a moment, I forget about the stress of the bills that are piling up, and I pretend that it isn't a problem at all. In the midst of our busyness, another way that we escape reality is we just add another project on top. It is usually in the busiest seasons of life that we decide we're going to renovate the basement. Why? Because it feels like it's in control. It feels like a break from the chaos around us. It's something that we can go to to find that click to make us peaceful again. You see, when we pursue false Sabbath, we find ourselves in a cycle of perpetuating and delaying the consequences of the chaos of our life. But instead, we are called to a new type of Sabbath. Ephesians 5.18, which started by saying, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, continues to say, instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul is comparing these two things here. He's saying, don't be filled with alcohol, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Don't escape reality, but instead dive deeper into that which is the most important. Sabbath was not meant to be just a quick forced pause, but instead a total reset of our lives. Remember how when you close the computer, when you reset it, it recalibrates and refocuses its memory and energy to the things that are priorities? Well, that is the intention of Sabbath. We stop not because we can't bear it anymore, but because we recognize that with all of these applications running in the background, with all of these thoughts that are swirling through our mind, how could I possibly stay focused on God's will? And so we are intentional to reset, and as my friend Eric says over here all the time, to recalibrate in the midst of our Sabbath. The Sabbath was not meant to be a day of golf or watching football. 
It was not meant to be a day where we catch up on emails and finish up our yard work. It was not meant for shopping and soccer tournaments. The Sabbath has been intentionally placed in our lives so that we can be refilled with the Spirit in a way that refocuses and realigns our lives for the week to come. So then how do we pursue Sabbath? What does that really look like for us? Well, fortunately, Ephesians 5 provides a bit of a framework for us. Paul continues after saying, be filled with the Spirit. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, the framework of the Sabbath is begin by closing the tabs. Begin by exiting out of all of the busyness and chaos of your life that is sure to distract you. Begin by being filled with God personally, entering into Scripture and prayer. And it says, when we have done that, when we have been filled with the Spirit, the natural response is then to enter into a life of worship that engages God, and it engages our community around us. Now think for a moment about what your week might look like if, if your Sabbaths followed this framework. Don't ask yourself if it's realistic. Don't ask yourself if you have the time to do it. But instead, just think for a moment how it might change your week. If in the morning on Sunday before the kids were up, before the chaos began to get ready for worship, you found a quiet place to open Scripture and to be with God. You found a place to quiet your heart, to still the ever-turning wheels in your head, and to focus on, on that which should be priority in our life. And then out of this stillness, you came to this place and began to worship God, thanking Him for this past week, glorifying Him for what He had done alongside friends and family that were worshiping in this community. And then as you left church, you were intentional, as Paul says it, to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. If you were intentional to invest in family in a way that pointed them back to Christ. If you were purposeful in engaging in fellowship with the community around you in a way that encouraged them to live their life prioritized for God. I don't know about you, but I imagine that that would make a significant change for me, for my family, for my community of friends. Because suddenly, all of the busyness would stop, and I would be reminded that it is meaningless if all of that energy is not focused on God. You see, why is this reset important? 
Well, it brings us full circle. It brings us full circle because the passage at the end reminds us at the end after we, we have been filled with the Spirit, we come together, we worship and thank God. We always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we apply the fourth commandment, we have the space to love God and to love others. It brings us back to that first commandment. And it ushers us in to a life filled with worship, filled with fellowship, and filled with time with God. So let us not be satisfied with false Sabbaths. Let us not be satisfied with escapes from our exhausting reality, but instead may we wholeheartedly pursue rhythms of rest that allow you to savor that reality and to focus more fully on the priorities of your life, of worshiping God and loving others. As we close, let us close with a prayer that comes from the book of Psalms, a prayer intended to be spoken on the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord, and how profound your thoughts. Amen.